Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each Friday we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic update from our in-house economic team. Today we're once again fortunate to be joined by our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Welcome again, Matthew. Hi, Craig. Good to see you again. Wonderful. The latest job figures, Matthew, were released yesterday, and the headline was the number of unemployment rose from 7.1 to 7.4% in June, despite the addition of around 211,000 jobs. It also indicated that whilst underemployment and underutilisation rates are a bit lower, the rate of our youth being unemployed has reached 16.4%, a 23-year high peak, which is, of course, quite alarming. Matthew, what are the figures telling us from your point of view and... How effective has the raft of policy measures been in stemming the unemployment flow? Well, look, uh, Craig, I don't know about you, but just reading the popular press and the general tone of the media, uh, you could be forgiven for thinking, you know, this latest labour market data was all doom and gloom. And I think that sentiment, you know, has obviously been reinforced by what's currently happening in Victoria and and also the potential for the New South Wales uh, uh, economy to follow suit, but a close reading of the numbers shows that June was was actually a very positive month for the labour market. Uh, but the good news has been swamped by the focus on the unemployment rate, which, as you said, uh, rose from 7.1% to 7.4%. Now, while nobody should be trivialising this devastating uh, situation for many of uh, unemployed workers, least of all someone like me who uh, has managed to keep his job, I think we must keep in mind the context in which we find ourselves. And the June data represents the first month over which the economy was reopening. We've recovered 200,000 jobs, and that understates the pickup in employment when we consider that hours work picked up by 4%, and we estimate that represents about another 130,000 people actually um, returning back to work who previously were stood down and and working zero hours. And while the rise in the unemployment rate this month really just shows what we already knew, that the May level of unemployment was understating the true figure, we should also be mindful that since March, the labour market has performed much better than was what was originally feared. You might remember, for example, the RBA and Treasury were forecasting the unemployment rate to hit uh, around about 10% by, by June. As little as a month ago, most forecasters were expecting the second quarter unemployment rate, that's the average of the months of April, May and June, to be close to 9%. The actual outcome is, is actually 7%. So don't get me wrong, the unemployment rate will continue to rise even if employment continues to rise due to what will be an ongoing rise in the participation rate. But this is the reality of COVID-19. The, the trajectory is not going to be smooth, but I think to date, the labour market has outperformed our expectations. And Matthew, our PM recently called at the Australian economy fighting back, but of course, we've now got this backdrop of phase two lockdowns starting to occur in Victoria, and of course, the New South Wales government looking at it closely as well. So do you expect that resilience to continue? Because as you said, early on, we're expecting quite dire numbers, but we've managed to uh, do quite well against that backdrop. So with this new latest sort of phase, do you continue to expect the unemployment rates to be resilient? Well, unfortunately, Craig, the uh, the experimental series or the new series that the ABS is producing on Australian payrolls, which is a, uh, a, a tracking the uh, the labour market on a weekly basis, has shown that 
uh, employment numbers sort of plateaued at the start of June and in the last couple of weeks have started to actually fall or, or go backwards. And that's uh, a function of uh, the, the lockdown in, in, uh, in Victoria. Now, Victoria is over 20% of the Australian labour market. So we're going to have a period or a pause where I think um, employment numbers will, will potentially uh, go back down again. But we've still had quite a, a strong recovery. And as I said, you know, th that's this is going to be the reality of COVID, I think. What we're going to see is periodic um, episodes where there are outbreaks of COVID, such as we've got uh, ha currently happening in Melbourne, which will be like speed humps to the progression uh, of uh, the recovery. But if we're able to contain uh, COVID, and, you know, I suppose at the moment the jury's out, somewhat in how how bad it's going to get um, if it ex particularly if it extends to uh, Sydney and New South Wales but if we can contain COVID to to periodic outbreaks then I think we we can avoid a, a, a general lockdown of the Australian economy and we can avoid sort of slipping backwards and we can continue with gradual um, progress in both the labour market and the economy. Yeah, I'm glad you raised that, Matthew. So off the back of these numbers we just re received recently, you know, you noted that the government's also revealed the latest sort of civil bullet in their fiscal response. So they've added to JobKeeper, JobSeeker and JobMaker now with this new job trainer support package. So I want to get a little bit more understanding from you, Matthew, around the context behind this policy and what impact you'll, you think it will make in tackling that high and alarming youth unemployment rate we spoke about earlier. Well, uh, the, the most recent policy that I've announced uh, is the job trainer, which targets apprenticeships and vocational training. Uh, and it should, both of those things are sort of geared, not exclusively, but to, um, to uh, younger people. Uh, the new funding announced yesterday is for a $1.5 billion wage subsidy for apprentices to cover medium-sized businesses um, with under 200 employees and expected to cover about 90,000 businesses and it will extend that support into March 2021. Uh, there's another $500 million of Commonwealth money which will be matched by $500 million from state governments to be set aside for vocational training and reskilling. And we've got the newly created National Skills Commission to identify those areas of need which will direct the, the training programs. Uh, I think this is a good start. I think it's necessary. We need to recast uh, our whole approach to, uh, to, to job training and to, uh, and, and to identifying where skills, skill shortages are emerging. And we need to support our younger people in acquiring those skills and training them up so that they can uh, shift into those areas, which will uh, generate uh, you know, greater productivity and enhance our international competitiveness going forward. Another thing I would point out to do with COVID is that it has completely disrupted our, our immigration program, uh, most importantly, our skills-based immigration program. So we do have to start thinking um, in this COVID world, not about just supply chain in terms of the production supply chain, but in terms of the supply chain of our labour force. Um, we 
can't rely indefinitely on just importing skills, although they will continue to be an important source of um, revitalising our labour force, gaining skills and, and gaining competitiveness. But we have to put more effort into training our own local population so that um, they're fit for purpose in what's going to be a very rapidly an evolving uh, world. And Matthew, there's been some commentary lately, of course, that these the greater use of more unconventional policies like we discussed earlier with JobKeeper and JobSeeker is starting to support the momentum of newer ideas in economic theory, such as the modern monetary theory. But we'll get into that in another, in another episode, I believe. From the safety of your Brisbane home, Matthew, can I put you on the spot uh, quickly and provide ask you to provide some insight into how the Victorian and New South Wales governments have responded Victoria, as we have talked about for the past few weeks, has gone through the elimination route, whilst New South Wales has opted for a suppression approach. Overnight, of course, we saw Victoria unfortunately announce 317 new cases of COVID. And this week, our Prime Minister, who has been very busy in the media, announced that the New South Wales response demonstrated how effectively states can respond and be sometimes the best protection on where to live alongside the virus and open up the economy rather than continually shutting things down. What's your perspective, Matthew, as the best route to take? And are we seeing a structural shift whereby the states are playing a larger, more influential role on the national stage? Well, from my perspective, uh, Craig, I don't see that the difference between the approach of, of Victoria and, and New South Wales or Queensland, for that matter, or any of the other states, was all that different in some respects. You know, like, in fact, the Victorians and the New South Wales governments originally uh, forced um, PM Morrison's hand initially uh, to actually engage in a lockdown where the Prime Minister, I think, wanted to uh, have less stringent uh, requirements when the when COVID first uh, broke in March. I think the major difference between New South Wales and Victoria really has to do with the way they treated the uh, the incoming arrivals from overseas and, and the way that they enforce the quarantine. So, you know, New South Wales was originally criticised um, for its treatment of the its lax treatment of the cruise ship arrivals, and they learned from that lesson. Whereas Victoria, um, it turns out, had a very lax approach to the uh, to the way in which they they policed the uh, security in in the uh, in the hotels in which uh, international rivals were staying, and that led to um, the outbreak that we're seeing at the moment. I think the, the salient lesson of Victoria is that as soon as there's complacency in any aspect of, uh, of trying to contain the, uh, the spread of COVID, whether you go for an elimination approach or a suppression approach, any sort of uh, complacency means that you can get a uh, an extremely rapid rise in inflation rate uh, in infection rates that leads to inevitably um, more stringent lockdowns as we're seeing in Melbourne at the moment. So I don't think it, it's so much a difference across the states and I don't think it's so much a difference between an elimination strategy versus a suppression strategy. It's about vigilance and it's about complacency in terms of thinking that just because we can open up the economy, we ha can ignore uh, social distancing requirements, hygiene requirements, and the rest of the things that go into um, 
keeping infection rates of COVID under control until such time as we get a, a vaccine. And Matthew, perhaps on a lighter note, this week the Queensland government very proudly announced that they were happy to support the nation and host the AFL season in Queensland. So perhaps the most important question of the day for you, Matthew, is where do you see the AFL grand final being hosted? Will it be in Victoria? Will it be in Queensland? Well, I'm a Melbourneian, Craig. And I think that for, for a Melbourneian, having it in uh, Victoria is number one. But I don't think that's going to happen, not in the current situation. In fact, it's not going to happen. The contenders are Brisbane, Sydney, and uh, potentially WA. Now, as a true Victorian, I can't possibly agree to it happening in Sydney. You know, Sydney is not a, uh, uh, an Australian rules football town and it should never be held in Sydney. WA, the sand gropers, that's too far away. Why do we want to have it over in WA at the other end of the earth? So I firmly uh, think it should be held in Queensland, in Brisbane. That's where we need to have the grand final this year. Thanks, Matthew. And I suppose a small call out there to our Tasmanian listeners for not being thought about. Matthew, thank you so much for sharing your insights today with us on QPod. Please watch out for our Monday Financial Markets podcast and have a super weekend ahead.